0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, how Russia's secret agents are being tracked down and found out.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?
1: an Argentinian couple and their two young children moved into a quiet suburb of Slovenia's capital, Ljubljana.
2: She was called Maria, he was called Ludwig. They had two young kids, about 7 and 10, and they set up quite a pleasant life. Uh, Maria set up a online art gallery, where she sold works of art, taking a commission, Uh, and Ludwig ran an IT company.
1: The Guardian's Sean Walker has spent time with people who knew the family. Maria and Ludwig had told their new friends and neighbours that a fear of street crime back home in Argentina had been the reason for their move to Europe, and that they were enjoying the change of pace that Slovenia offered.
2: Everybody who met them thought they were very nice people. The neighbours said they could often hear the kids playing in Spanish in in the garden. And nobody thought there was much strange about them.
1: But last December, all that suddenly changed.
2: Several police cars and groups of plainclothes police and special forces descended on the house where Maria and Ludwig lived. They also staked out the office that they'd rented, where they ran their gallery and company from. And the pair of them were arrested in what was one of the biggest and most coordinated police operations in Slovenia's history.
1: Shockwaves rippled through the local community. How could this average couple get caught up in such an extraordinary saga?
2: It turns out that Slovenian authorities operating on a tip-off from another Western intelligence service had reason to believe that Maria and Ludwig were not really called Maria and Ludwig, and they were not even really from Argentina. Um, They believed they were Russian spies who had spent years training to pretend to be Argentinians with no links to Russia at all. It is claimed
1: that Maria and Ludwig were illegals. That is, deep cover spies that Russia sends out on missions that can last years or even decades while disguising all of their links to Moscow. And as breathtaking as their story is, it's not unique. Many more Russian illegals have been found dotted across the world and suddenly exposed. So what is going on? In a world where so much intelligence gathering has shifted online, why are the Russians still investing in old-fashioned spy networks? And what exactly are spies like Maria and Ludwig up to? From The Guardian, I'm Nosheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, the story of a very ordinary family accused of being deep-cover Russian spies. Sean Walker, you're The Guardian's Central and Eastern Europe correspondent, and you've been reporting on the wild story of Maria Mayer and Ludwig Gish. What did the Slovenian authorities allege that the couple were doing?
2: So publicly, all the Slovenian authorities have said is that they believe that this couple was using false identity documents and working for a foreign intelligence service. Privately, while I was in Ljubljana, I got some of the juicy details of what the Slovenians believe these two were up to. They, they say they've got absolutely no doubt that this couple were Russian illegals, that they were based in Slovenia, but they were traveling all over Europe, and that their mission essentially was to be a part of Russia's espionage effort that has no obvious links to Moscow, which of course enables them to do things that more obvious spies can't do.
1: So has the Slovenian police found any substantial evidence of the couple's alleged spying?
2: During a search of their office, uh, the police found a huge quantity of money, uh, of cash, so much in fact that it took them several hours to count it. It doesn't seem that this was something that was simply destined to be spent on maintaining their cover identity, on paying the rent, living this life as this Argentinian couple. So one potential conclusion to be drawn is that they were used to pay certain Russian assets. So if Russia has a network of people in different countries who are passing it classified information, then perhaps this innocent-seeming Argentinian couple were the conduit to deliver money to some of those people.
1: Sean, can you explain what kind of information gathering would be valuable or necessary for a Russian spy to do their job right now?
2: You know, clearly now Russia is in the middle uh, of a horrible war in Ukraine that it started. And it's essentially come up against a very united Western coalition there.
0: Since Russia invaded Ukraine, the supply of weapons from Western allies has flooded in. Billions of dollars worth of drones, armoured vehicles, howitzers, anti aircraft missiles, ammunition, and body armour
2: all have to be. So, part of Russia's aims in Europe at the moment uh, are likely to be related to that to finding out how decisions are being taken in Western capitals, to finding out the latest about the kind of weapons that are going to be delivered to Ukraine. And of course, also more active kind of spying where the goal is to sabotage or to influence those decisions.
1: The Dutch intelligence service has stopped an alleged Russian spy from entering the country. The spy has been identified as a 36-year-old Sergei Vladimirovich Cheroskov and an agent of Russia's military service or the GRU.
2: We heard recently about another alleged illegal who was arrested and deported from the Netherlands about a year ago. And he was a Russian who had a fake Brazilian identity and he'd got an internship at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Now, obviously, that's pretty interesting and useful for Russia at a time when, a few months after he was sent back, the same court has indicted Vladimir Putin for war crimes. So having somebody on the inside who has access to the email servers, has access to confidential information, that's clearly something um, that could be interesting.
1: What is the difference between legal and illegal intelligence officers?
2: So this is something that's in in this form, it's quite specific to, to Russia. It goes back to essentially the Early Soviet Union, when Soviet Union wasn't recognized by many countries around the world, so it didn 't have embassies it couldn 't send spies pretending to be diplomats. But what they did have was all these European communists, many of whom spoke multiple languages and had very cosmopolitan lives, who could be put out sent out in disguise and and work for the Soviet union basically. Because I'd been born into the British governing class, because I knew a lot of people of an influential standing, I knew that they would never get too tough with me. They'd never try to beat me up or knock me around. Because um, if they had been proved wrong afterwards, I could have made a tremendous scandal. And this worked so well that even when Russia did open embassies and was able to send out Diplomats. It kept on with this program. And so you had a distinction between legal spies, which meant, you know, the guys uh, who would be sent out as political first secretary in the Soviet embassy, but were actually working for the KGB and the illegals who would have no obvious links to Moscow at all. It's a former KGB spy story about hiding in plain sight in America. He lived under the alias Jack Barsky and spent decades unnoticed in the United States. So who are you? How many different
1: identities do you have? I have two main identities, a German one and an American one. What's your real name? My real name is Jack Barsky.
0: In what name were you born with? Uh, Albrecht Dietrich.
2: And this carried on throughout the Soviet period. And kind of remarkably, it was also resurrected again um, in modern Russia. The CIA has something called non-official cover, NOX. And that's the closest you kind of get to an illegal. But in the CIA's case, that will be somebody who poses as an American businessman. They might spend years working in this business cover identity, but really they'll be working for the CIA. But the Russians take this one step further. It's not just that they're not diplomats, it's they're pretending not even to be Russians.
1: Let's go back to Maria and to Ludwig. Slovenia sounds like an unusual, or at the very least, an unremarkable place to plant spies. and. Most of us would assume a Russian intelligence operative would be more likely to be deployed in the US or perhaps even in the UK. So can you explain why this couple would be living in this small Balkan country?
2: Well, that's right. Slovenia is a small country. It's very peaceful. Ljubljana is a a almost kind of sleepy capital city. and, And it doesn't feel like the centre of espionage in the way that perhaps New York or Vienna um, or Berlin uh, do, but that's almost the beauty of it, really, because Slovenia is an EU member, it's a NATO member, and crucially, I think it's uh, it's part of the Schengen free movement zone. So if you're based in Ljubljana, you can drive to Germany, you can drive to Austria, you can drive to France, you can basically go to most of Western and Central Europe without ever having to show your passport and without any record that you've been there. So my guess would be that Slovenia was an attractive base for this couple because, you know, they have the benefits of living in a much weaker counterintelligence environment than if they'd moved to Germany or Austria, say, um, but they can still operate in those places.
1: How much do you know about how the couple led their lives? What did that look like from the outside?
2: I must have spoken while I was in Slovenia to more than a dozen people who knew them. uh, And a couple of words kept coming up. Uh, One was nice and the other one was ordinary. I spoke to so many people who said, you know, there's no way they can be spies. They were so nice. They were so... Nondescript in a way, you know, she wasn't particularly attractive or flirty in the way that in people's heads Russian spies might be. He didn't seem to be particularly charismatic. um in the words of of one of the artists who had worked with Maria, he said she was a gray mouse. And in a way, I think. Uh, all of these people were saying this as as absolute proof that, that, that there was no way they could be spies, um, but it made me think about a conversation I had about four years ago in Moscow with another former illegal called Yelena Vavilova, who spent 20 years pretending to be a Canadian until she was caught in 2010, and she told me that you know the ideal illegal is somebody who's not too attractive, so average looking, doesn't crave external approval because they've got to be doing this extraordinary work, but they can't talk about it to anybody. And is exactly this grey mouse that everyone was describing to me as, as, as proof why these people couldn't be spies. Wow.
1: Well, and can you tell me a bit more about how they went about conducting themselves or in terms of what they did for work?
2: So Maria ran a gallery. This was a virtual online gallery. And this gallery, sometimes she would take it on tour. So she would take works from a number of artists. Several times she went to the Zagreb Art Fair in Croatia. Um, We know that she organized at least two, I think probably more exhibitions in a shopping mall in Edinburgh. Now, what we don't know, of course, is was this art gallery just purely a sideshow for her to have something to do to say, you know, this is, this is my life. and, And then the espionage work was totally separate or was the gallery actually tailored around the espionage work. So for example, she had a source that needed to be paid in Croatia or in Scotland. And so she carefully organized the art exhibits to, to coincide with that. The Slovenian authorities aren't talking about that yet, but at the moment we can only speculate Ludwig, the partner, he's a bit more mysterious. He ran um, an IT company that sold um, a software package, uh, rather ironically, that was meant to protect your inbox from malware and bugs and viruses. His side of the business did look more like a bit of a thin cover story. Um, I spoke to somebody in Slovenia who knew them both and who said that, you know, when Ludwig had started talking about his software, he'd downloaded it and Given it a test run and thought, basically this is absolute rubbish. It's, it's five years outdated at minimum. So it seems to me that perhaps you know what what Ludwig was doing for the SVR for Russia was something totally different, and that this was kind of a just a cover story. But again, at this stage, it's kind of speculation.
1: And what about the status of Maria Mayer and Ludwig Gersh as it stands now? And what have they said since their arrest?
2: Well, publicly, um, they've said nothing and and they haven't been allowed to say anything. What I was told in Slovenia was that they've also told nothing privately. They've refused to talk. I was told that, again, privately by sources in Ljubljana, that the Russians fairly quickly admitted that, OK, these are our people. And we're open to talking about some kind of an exchange for them. But again, I think we have to be aware that there's going to be some stuff about it that we don't know.
1: And just to be clear, as it stands, they remain in police custody, but they have two young children. What's happened to them?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the most extraordinary parts of this case. So, yeah, they've got two children um, aged around seven and ten. And what I was told was that they've been taken into care. I couldn't find out more than that. I also don't know if if Maria and Ludwig have been allowed to see their children. But you know, this is clearly um, perhaps the, the the kind of mo- the most difficult part of this case to get your head around because it seems that they have two kids who, I mean, especially the ten-year-old would be old enough to just sort of understand a bit of what's going on around them in the world. And and they've grown up thinking they're the child of Argentinian parents and you know it's going to be quite confusing to work out now that actually they're Russian perhaps they're going to see their parents again and be sent back to Russia with them if there is a swap perhaps they're going to end up in a Slovenian institution for several years if if the parents go to jail you know really really just a difficult thing to get your head around.
1: As you say, it's a mind-bending story to grasp onto, and not least because of the fallout and the impact it has on other people's lives. It also isn't the only recent discovery of illegal spies that you've covered. There is the case of Gerhard Daniel Campos Wittich, which you wrote about last week. Can you tell me more about him?
2: We have Maria and Ludwig arrested at the beginning of December, although nothing is made public about it at that time. But a few weeks after they're arrested, two people go missing uh, on different sides of the world. One is Gerhard Daniel Campos Wittich, as you mentioned, who is, or at least says he's a Brazilian uh, of Austrian origin. He's running a, a company in Rio that makes 3D models. And at the same time, On the other side of the world in Athens, a woman who runs a knitting supplies shop uh, in Athens called Maria Tsala also goes missing. Now, both of these two people have long-term romantic partners and lots of friends who they get on with very well, and then they just suddenly disappear. And what Greek intelligence claim is that these two are also SVR illegals,
1: Uh, with SVR being Russia's foreign intelligence service?
2: Not only that, they were a married couple that somehow had got married in Russia and were working together, but had set themselves up in different countries and set up their own new romantic lives. And that after the arrest of Maria and Ludwig, presumably the SVR were concerned that if they had been exposed, then these two were also at risk of exposure. So they quickly Recalled them and they've left this sort of wake of emotional destruction um, behind them.
1: Sean, you're writing a book at the moment that looks more deeply into the world of illegal spies. Can you tell me about what you've learned about what it takes for someone to do this kind of work?
2: I've talked to a few people who have been through the illegals training program during the Soviet period and then. You know, this was a really intensive program. It was always done one-on-one. People would never even be taken to KGB headquarters. It would always be done in a series of private apartments. It took four or five years, usually. I mean, clearly part of it um, was about language, cultural understanding. So, for example, if you were going to pose as an Austrian, you would spend a year sitting in your uh, apartment in moscow reading all the austrian school books from first grade to final grade uh, so you would be able to claim that you'd been through the schooling system you would then go on a series of kind of practice missions to the places you were supposed to have grown up in so that you could look at addresses you could look at landmarks you could have a feel of these places so that later you could be able to talk about them and you know traditionally that was the idea that of course this is very difficult to mold this Russian person into a foreigner. So it takes a long time, but I, when I was talking to these people, I realized that there is also part of this that is about molding somebody's psychological character in a very specific way, which I think also takes a long time, essentially you need to train these operatives who will lie to absolutely everyone about everything, even, you know, lying to their own children. But you also need to train them to be 100% loyal to you as the spy masters in Moscow who are going to send these people out with very minimal oversight because, you know, they can't meet with diplomats from the embassy. They're not supposed to have anything to do with Russia. So you've got to send them out on this very long leash and trust that they're going to stay loyal to you and that is a particularly weird and intense kind of twisted psychology that's required and 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 for me when some of these people were were talking about the kind of exercises and testing that they'd been through it made me think of of, of sort of uh, you know joining a cult or something in in the way that it required this sort of uh, real devotion to the cause
1: and what about the other lives this work affects because You've interviewed the children of former spies who were unaware of their parents' work. What did they tell you about how they felt about their mums and dads and their life together as a family?
2: Yeah, well, that was actually the, the story that first got me really interested in illegals as a topic. In 2016, When for a Guardian magazine story, um, I met the two sons of a pair of illegals that were arrested In the US in 2010, if there are fans of the, the TV show, The Americans, it was kind of the family that that show was based on. Years before Alex was born at Toronto's Women's College Hospital, his parents snuck into Canada as Russian sleeper agents. Alex and his older brother Timothy say they had no idea their parents were spies. The couple was eventually caught in Boston in 2010 following an FBI surveillance mission. These guys, they were 16 and 20 when the FBI uh, came knocking on, on the door of their house in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And as far as they claimed, they had absolutely no idea that they were anything other than ordinary Canadians. They, they'd they both been born in Canada um, then their parents had moved a little bit to France. They'd then moved to Boston because the father, Don Heathfield, whose real name was Andrei Bezrukov, had got into Harvard's Kennedy School and then went on to have quite a successful consulting business. So these kids had grown up you know, thinking they were in, in this ordinary family, and then suddenly their parents were arrested. They're put on a plane to Moscow. They've never been to Russia before. They don't speak a word of Russian. They're given new passports. So, that, you know, the younger son is called Alex Foley. He's, he's like, your new name is Alexander Vavilov. As he said to me, like, I couldn't even pronounce my new name properly. But obviously, there are secrets in, in many families and, and, and many children find things out about their parents that are very difficult to process. But, you know, in the scheme of things, finding out that they're actually Russian spies is, is I think, pretty high up there in, in the sort of level of shocking discoveries you can make. As they said to me, there were some hard moments, but somehow they'd managed to piece things together. You know, they they kind of came to the the conclusion that they'd had this loving childhood. And, you know, even if parts of it were based on a lie, ultimately that parent-child bond and the care and the love um, had been genuine.
1: Coming up, is there a link between Russian spies being exposed now and last month's arrest of an American journalist in Moscow? Sean, by its very nature, spying is the most secretive of jobs. And yet, as we've heard in recent months, you've written about multiple deep cover Russian spies who have been publicly exposed. What is going on and why are we hearing about these people more now?
2: I think we can definitely have some hypotheses. One is that a defector from Russia is passing information over to the West on the identities of spies, Um, and perhaps since the invasion of Ukraine, there may have been more defectors, people who were uncomfortable with Vladimir Putin's war. Another option is that, again, linked linked to the war in Ukraine, the West has kicked out an enormous number of Russian diplomats from embassies across Europe, and a large number of those diplomats will have been spies disguised as diplomats. So with Russia not having those options anymore to use, it may have been asking people like Maria and Ludwig to do riskier things that brought them more out into the open and allowed Western intelligence to to get onto them. Uh, A third option is that the West has really woken up again to, to everything that Russia's doing and has invested more resources in trying to shut down these intelligence operations. And so perhaps people have been found simply because more work is being put into looking for them. And then the final option is in in intelligence, you can often find out that 20, 30, 40 years ago, people were caught, quietly sent back to Russia, and nobody ever heard a word about it at the time. And I think now there's a feeling in the West that it's quite important to humiliate Russia. And so perhaps whereas 10 years ago, if Slovenia had caught Ludwig and Maria, they might have made a quiet phone call, send them back to Moscow, and we would never have heard anything about it. Now there's much more of a desire to make it public.
1: Well, given what you've just said, what do you think will happen to Maya and Gersh? I mean, what are they likely to be charged with, if anything?
2: So it does seem that the Slovenians believe they have enough evidence to charge them with with serious espionage crimes, the exact details of the indictment are not public. Often, illegals are caught, and there's nothing you can, there's nothing firm to get them with, except for using fake documents. It seems that in this case, the Slovenians think they've got more than that, and that there's enough to put them away for several years. Now, whether it gets to that stage or not remains to be seen. I was told in Slovenia that uh, negotiations are going on very quietly and at a very high level uh, with Russia about perhaps an exchange for these people. There's a bunch of people that Russia wants to get back that are in uh, Western jails, and perhaps we're going to hear sometime um, about an exchange for them that's agreed, or perhaps they're going to end up going to jail for a very long time.
1: Well, this news of illegal spies increasingly being identified across Europe comes at the same time as the arrest of a Wall Street Journal reporter in Russia. Evan Gershkovich was accused of espionage, and he has become the first American journalist to be arrested in the country since the Cold War ended. Is there a link, do you think, between this and the arrest of spies in Europe?
2: Well, for me, it's definitely very plausible that there's a link. I was in Slovenia talking to sources who were telling me that there are these very secret negotiations going on, but no agreement has been made yet. Uh, And then a week later, I see this horrific news of Evans' arrest in in Russia. I think certainly his best hope for getting out will be uh, to be part of an exchange. But of course, it does look a lot like essentially hostage taking that he's rounded up basically for doing journalism in a very shocking way and very quickly accused of of espionage. We don't know for sure, but I I think it's at least plausible that these negotiations were going on and then suddenly Russia pops up and says, "Okay, well, we're talking about this exchange of spies. Well, hey, we've got another one to exchange. Sean,
1: finally, how do these cases that you've told us about fit into the wider context of modern day espionage in Russia's war against Ukraine? And... How important is what we've heard when it comes to Russia's ongoing war effort?
2: So one of the difficult things with talking about intelligence is that often you only find out exactly what people were doing and exactly how significant the things they did were years, decades, sometimes a century after they happened. So, you know, on the face of it, um, this Argentinian couple running an IT company and a virtual art gallery in Ljubljana. Uh, I mean, they seem to be a million miles away from the Russian war effort, uh, and perhaps they were, you know, perhaps they did nothing at all that helped Russia, uh, in, in Ukraine. It's equally possible that perhaps they were the key link in paying a source, you know, a European official or a military figure who was providing information to the Russians that was absolutely crucial for Russia's war effort. I think that's that sort of runs as a theme through the illegals, that it's this kind of extraordinary, intense, perhaps quite outdated mode of spying. You know, it seems like a waste of time, but at the same time, it's so extraordinary that nobody's ever quite sure, like, are these people up to absolutely nothing of interest? Or could they actually be doing, like, this really extraordinary stuff behind the scenes?
1: I guess we'll find out in 100 years' time. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Sean Walker, Central and Eastern Europe correspondent for The Guardian. You can read his piece, The Ordinary Family at Number 35, Suspected Russian Spies Await Trial in Slovenia, and follow his work at theguardian.com forward slash profile forward slash Sean dash Walker. And that's it for today. I'm Nosheen Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Natalie Khatena. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back again tomorrow.